morning church family let me take a minute to just adjust the screen i'm coming to you via the church library this morning and you can see i still have a little jacket on it's a little chilly in here and we uh due to the recent spike in covid cases in our area in our community we're taking two weeks to be meeting together strictly online not in person and so the next time we meet together will be november 1st and uh that'll be sunday morning november 1st we'll meet together and on november 4th we'll start back up our awana program so you can keep an eye on information that'll be coming to the bulletin through the bulletin if there's any changes that need to be made but it's a trying time it's a, a stressful time and uh, time to be prayerful, careful, time to be wise, time certainly to uh, be spending the time that we do have being mindful of God's word, being mindful of his promises, encouraging one another, using our other forms of uh, communication online and FaceTime and Zoom meetings, and we're grateful and thankful for uh, Troy and Mimi, the others who have those skills that can help us do that. So I would encourage you to try to take advantage of time um, to make phone calls. Uh, you can do the old-fashioned thing, even write a letter or send a card to somebody to encourage them during this time. And so we're going to open our Bibles today in a few minutes again in chapter for first Peter. So in the meantime, you could grab your Bibles. I, I guess I wanted to just uh, share with you personally that it's, my heart is a little heavy this morning. I, Kathy and I had the chance to get away to Wisconsin for Thursday and Friday, her break from school a much needed break for her and I we came across two particular accidents car accidents and one I was sitting on the shore of Lake Superior listening to the quietness of the waves lapping on the beach when I could hear sirens behind me and so immediately I thought well something took place and I looked around and I didn't see any fire as if uh, it was for something burning a house or something and I realized there was a, an accident up the road not far from where I was and so when I I had a time commitment there and I had to leave and I had to drive right by the accident and I realized that the individual that was driving the car um, for somehow there was no snow at that time and, or no reason for the road being impaired but for some reason the driver went off the road without ever even braking and uh the car hit the embankment and it was uh it was pretty well demolished so it was very sobering and i thought about here i'm sitting quietly listening to the waves whapping lapping on the side of the shore of lake superior as not only a mile away, somebody is very likely, it looked from the accident, losing their life. 
and life in, in, indeed has some turns that it takes. And uh, in Peter, we've been reading uh, continually about his view, his perspective, his encouragement to his readers in their circumstances, which include lots of suffering. And so as I entered into this passage this morning, I'm reading from 1 Peter chapter 4, and I'm going to be in verse 7 to verse 12. But those, if you notice, we looked at this chapter in its entirety, except for verses 7 to 12. In the first part of the chapter, he uses the word suffering several times, and he closes the chapter using the word suffering five more times. So in this chapter, seven times he uses the word suffering, and we've been learning about that perspective. But the verses we're including today are in are packaged in the middle of suffering, and then a little some verses that are very different, and then back to suffering. And so if you would open your Bibles to First Peter chapter four, verse seven, let's read these verses together. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administrating God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks... He should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So before I go through this passage, let's just take a minute to pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. and Thank you for the truth of it, the power of it, the authority of it, the comfort of it the breath of it, and we thank you for its relevance. It's the living word, and we thank you for the power of it for our personal lives, the promises it contains, its instruction, its correction, its edification. Lord, as we look into your word now, we just ask that you would guide and speak to us, give us insight, correction, and rebuke as where we need it in each of our personal lives. In Jesus' precious and powerful name, amen. So the accident I saw on the one day, I was by myself. Yesterday morning at 8 o'clock when we were leaving Wisconsin, it had already been snowing for about 15 minutes when we got on the road. And we hadn't made it probably two miles from our desk, from where we were leaving from when we came across a bridge that was covered with snow and apparently it was very icy and this person in front of us lost control and the vehicle was flipped over. Now I realized on an icy road, um, there's not many people could stop because it was a narrow road and there was already vehicle stop and there were vehicles and there were individuals walking out to the accident and we could see that the person inside the vehicle was waving out. So we knew that there was, uh, but again, it was sobering. Uh, the first accident was very serious and this one didn't seem to be as serious, but it just reminded me. And so when Peter comes to verse 
7, and he says, the end of all things is near. It's a sobering word. It's a, it's a heavy word, especially in light of uh, our present crisis with COVID. And uh, up in northern Minnesota now, we have our first snow, and that usually means some extra accidents. But the end of all things is near. In the midst of Peter's encouragement to these people who are suffering, he takes time to remind them again, things aren't going to be this way forever. Whether you're in a good place right now or you're in a bad place right now, everything is transitory. Everything is changing. Everything is moving. But the end of all things is near. And he's specifically referring, as the commentators that I studied said, that he's referring to the second return of Christ, the culmination of things when Jesus returns. Richard Trench's description of imminency, imminency, the word that means that he could return any moment, the return of Christ is possible any day, impossible no day. So Peter gets his readers to take a minute and pause, listen, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of all that's going on in your life, don't forget in the bigger picture, stop back and say, everything is in transition. Nothing lasts forever that we see around us. And the end of all things is near. That the Bible teaches that Jesus is coming again, that the end of all things is near is without question. For instance, 23 out of the 27 books in the New Testament clearly state that he is coming. One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament either speaks directly to his second coming or about the end time events that are surrounding his second coming. For every biblical reference to Jesus' first coming, there's eight references that point to his return. The biblical writers do not want the reader, um, their readers of any of the New Testament writers, to misunderstand the truth that Jesus is returning. Yes, he is gone. He's returned to his father and to our father, but he's returning here. His return is not a subject for speculation, but it's a reason for anticipation and a reason for motivation. In one of the commentaries I was studying on, I found such a good outline. I just wanted to share with you some of the thoughts that this uh, author had outlined in his uh, in the topical Bible. Um, a big picture view of the end of all things is near the return of Christ. It gave uh, seven overview points, and I want to read them. In view of the fact that the end is near, believers should be alert and watchful. Believers should be motivated to godly living. Believers should consider it is coming very soon. Believers should eagerly await the second coming. Believers should hope and should encourage one another while they wait for the second coming. And believers should long for it. And finally, believers should persevere while they wait for the second coming. 
I wanted to read just a couple of verses because Peter doesn't go into great detail here. He just makes one simple statement. The end of all things is near. But throughout the entire New Testament, like I said, in 23 out of 27 books, the topic of the second coming of Jesus Christ is one of the main subjects. Listen to some of these verses. Jesus' words himself from Matthew 24. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day the Lord will return. Mark chapter 13. Be on guard. Be alert. You don't know when the time will come. Luke chapter 12. Be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, the servants may immediately open the door for them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Again, from Matthew chapter 24, who then is faithful and a wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants? He will give them food at the proper time. It will, good for, it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. And Peter already said in 1 Peter chapter 1, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. In Romans 13, it says, do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. And every day, the end is near. Every day, the second coming of Jesus is nearer. Philippians 4, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. James chapter 5, you too, be patient, stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Romans chapter 8, not only so, but we ourselves who have the, the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemptions of our body. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for our, what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently for it. In Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. But we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And in 2 Timothy now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but all who have longed for his appearing. And so Peter's encouragement to these believers during their suffering, during their trial, is realized the end of all things is near. The return of Jesus is imminent. It could happen any time. There's no day on which he could not return. The end is near. So he tells them, therefore, because of this, because of the reality that Jesus coming is imminent or your death or my death could happen any time, as that accident so clearly reminded me yesterday, be clear-minded. Be clear-minded. It's the idea of paying attention. The same thing he already said in chapter 1, 
be self-controlled, be clear-minded. The idea is be paying attention. Sit up, take notice. Take notice that even though the world around you seems like maybe it's going on forever and ever and ever, and time is eternal, which it certainly is, but we're not eternal as far as living on this earth. There will be a time when the end comes, and it will be a day specifically set aside and chosen by the Lord. But the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. And we talked a lot about prayer as we've been in our time in Peter. And you think about all the opportunities we have to worry. There's plenty of them, and there's plenty of reason. But nothing is more important than prayer. And so it would be reminded, as Peter reminds them here, when you're looking around and you see that there's trouble, there's difficulty in your own personal life and lives of friends and family, lives in our nation, and there's turmoil, let's be clear-minded and self-controlled so that we can utilize that time, exercise that time, have focused time so that we can pray. And he doesn't go into... Uh, long explanations of the either of these things, either the thing that the time is uh, near, the end is near, but to be clear minded. But then he goes on above all else as if this is uh, he's thinking through some priorities above all else. Love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. The love described here is the term which we're familiar in the Bible. It's it's the biblical word agape, and that's the word for love, which is a distinctly biblical love. It's a distinct love that God has and that God gives. It's a love of choice. It's It's the choice kind of love. This is the love that is not stirred by feelings or emotions. It's a love that is chosen. It's a love that has exercised the will of the choice to take action for the good of another. It is on display as we make choices to serve others. So this agape love that Peter says, love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins there. This is agape love. It's not based on pleasant emotions or good feelings. It's based in choices to serve others without feelings by choice. It's interesting. This week, there are several of us that are caring for a neighbor's dog while they're out of town. And uh, I've been going over there and I'm noticing that, you know, because it's the season that we're in, when you open the door, flies have gotten into the house and now those flies are dying and they're laying on the floor. And I said, well, I got time before they get back for me to sweep the floor and kind of clean up clean up and do something. And the next time I went there, I noticed, wow, somebody had cleaned up and somebody had gone in between me, the other person that's helping out. They took action and they they cleaned up. And the next time I went there, I found another person at the house who was helping take care of the dogs. And they had mentioned to me, yeah, I had to clean up a little bit after the dogs because, uh, Maybe I didn't get it here in time and they had an accident. I thought, here's this love. Here's this love. It had nothing to do with feelings. It had nothing to do with emotions. It was a choice to serve another person. And 
so when Peter's saying that we should offer love to each other above all, above all, offer this kind of love, a love that moves on behalf of others, not because it's stirred up by emotions, not because it, it's stirred up by feelings, but because it's a choice of, the, of a person to serve another person without feelings, without emotions being necessary to stir them. <clears throat> so I was so encouraged by what my friends were doing. And I realized um, this isn't because of feelings. This is because an act of the will strengthened by choice. This is the kind of love. And it was such a blessing. And he goes on to say that this kind of love, one of the results, one of the demonstration that this love is in play is that this love will cover a multitude of sins. In 1 Corinthians 13, in the love chapter, we know that it says love keeps no record of wrongs. This is the kind of love. Offer this kind of love to each other and love deeply because love of this kind covers a multitude of sins. Albert Barnes said this, true love to another makes us kind to his imperfections, charitable to his faults, and often blind to the existence of his faults. We would not see the imperfections of those whom we love. If we love them, in the best sense of the phrase, love is blind because love gives the ability to cover a multitude of sins. This is the real practiced power of love in, in a sense of uh, the purpose, purposeful, intentional practice of serving another in choosing to love them. And this can be seen in our day-to-day lives. Love like this will keep us from nitpicking each other to death. Um, when we do get to know each other, one of the things we find out probably is the, the quirks that we have, the oddities that we have. And love covers a multitude of sins. And rather than finding fault at every turn, rather than uh, picking each other apart, Love of this type, agape love, biblical love, the love that depends on choice, chooses to overlook the faults and habits that bug us of people. And John Piper writes this, our love needs to be the kind that covers each other's sins. I know I need that love to be given to me. I know I need that love to... um help me as I move towards other people. The stress of life can have us at each other's throats. And Peter is saying that deeply loving each other results in covering sins. This is not sweeping things under the rug. All that does is produce lumps that we're going to trip on anyway. But covering is a way that it's done. It's over. It's covered. It's forgiven. It's under the blood. It's forgotten, it's dealt with, it's accepted, and it's dealt with, so we move on. And covering, I thought about um, you cover something that is unsightly, not that you uh, don't want to deal with it, but because you've dealt with it and you can put it away. 
we should know, take note here that uh, one of the effects then of truly offering love toward one another is that sins would be covered. We wouldn't keep a record of wrong. We couldn't. We wouldn't keep bringing it up. It means that as Christians, we can overlook people um, and attitudes and actions that uh, come against us. We should be ready to forgive one another. And so in Proverbs, it says this in chapter 10, hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all wrongs. Peter's addressing the fact that love is not reduced to mere feeling. You made me feel so good. If we love a person as we, and as we love people, we can and will forgive. Love makes us patient, makes us kind. Love enables us to accept one another's faults, difficulties, and love covers a multitude of sins. And love is able to take initiative and take action. It was interesting early this morning. It was my turn dealing with the, do- the dogs to make a choice that, again, had nothing to do with feelings. As I went to check the kennel where the little puppy was, I noticed it looked like, oh, he must have spilled some food in here. And so I sent him outside and I was going to put the food back into the bowl. And I realized, mm, this isn't food. Uh, the puppy had gotten sick. And so when I I grabbed some napkins and I cleaned that up and then I realized, oh, this is just a small portion. I What I noticed is I looked a little further. It was early in the morning and kind of dark. So uh, this idea of loving that didn't have to do with feelings, that didn't have to do with emotions, but a love that was a choice became really apparent this morning in that situation. And so it just reminded me, okay, here's people that are under pressure, people that are being scattered, people that Peter, Peter already acknowledged that they're living as aliens and strangers. It's easy to get testy, to get disturbed, to get frustrated, to get irritated when you're pushed outside your comfort zone. But this kind of love that he's inviting us to express above all, above all, Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. Well, this is covered. The uh, the individual whose dog we're taking care of, they're never going to know what was covered. And it was covered, hopefully, and clearly because of love that was action and based on choice and uh, based on the best interests of that person rather than our own feelings. And Peter goes on here, and he says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's interesting. It's easy to offer hospitality in some cases, but maybe it's not so easy to offer hospitality without grumbling. Erwin Lutzer wrote this, that hospitality is a test for godliness because those who are selfish do not like strangers especially needy ones, to intrude upon their private lives. Because hospitality is, a, is you're, in, you're inviting somebody in to your private life. You're sharing your space, your stuff, your food, and you're offering it to them as a gift. And uh, some people, as Lutzer points out, 
they prefer their own friends to share their own lifestyle who to share their stuff with. But only the humble have the necessary resources to give of themselves to those who could never give of themselves in return. I this was reminded, and when I thought about uh, Peter's challenge here and his encouragement to offer hospitality to one another, I have a dear friend, Kurt, and some of you have met him. He has an opportunity to drive around as he loves to take drives in his car. And often he is encountering people with different types of difficulties. And uh, on the road, it's usually hitchhikers, people that are broke down. On this one particular day, he saw somebody that was walking along the highway. He had passed a car earlier and noticed there was no one there. As he went a little further, he found the person who was the owner of the car walking. They had run out of gas. So Kurt, being the person of hospitality and kindness that he is, he pulled over. And so he picked up the person and he said, hey, can I help you? He said, yeah, my car back there ran out of gas. And Kurt said, yeah, I kind of figured that out. Let's stop right up here. I know some people that I met before who are very kind. And so they pulled into the yard and the owners of the house came out and greeted Kurt as he would expect. He didn't know them all that well, but he had stopped at other times. Um, he had a flat tire one time right near their house and they came out there and offered to help him and get him back on the road. And so he never forgot that. So, and he was in this same area. So he pulled up there and he said, they came out and said, yeah, I just uh, met this friend on the road here who's out of gas. Do you by chance have a gas can? I'm going to take him up the road to get some gas. I said, no, not only do we have a gas can, but we have some gas. And so they let him have the gas. And so Kurt thanked him up and down, and the other person thanked him up and down. And from time to time, Kurt stops back at that place and, and brings cookies and baked goods. And I know when I drive by that place, I think, oh, that's that house where you could be received and they offer hospitality. If I was ever broke down in this area or I find somebody else that called me and said, hey, I'm broke down in this particular area. I can say, well, there's a house right up the road from you. Stop there. They'll take care of you. And think about these particular people. Uh, show hospitality. Offer hospitality. They're being driven from their homes, and depending on what kind of situation they're in, it may not be an option to stop at a Holiday Inn or the Motel 6. And so Peter says, be hospitable. Wish not uh, grumbling and complaining about it, but without grumbling and complaining. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. And practically, this word means to be fond of guests, that it describes one who is given to generosity, welcoming, cordial, receptive of visitors, friends or strangers. It means to give practical help to anyone who is in need. This would be a much needed part of these readers environment. And so that we're. Wow, if they are traveling because they're moving from one town to another, being kicked out by the Romans, guess what they could possibly find? 
they could find some people who have gone before them that were once in their place who are now now settled and so that they could offer their homes to them. If you've experienced the blessing of someone's hospitality while traveling, you know how much that can mean to you, especially if you're a stranger in that particular area. So, Peter, in offering love, you're doing it uh, without feelings and emotions, compelled by feelings and emotions, but you're offering love as a choice, and hospitality is one of the main ways you can offer that. He goes on, and he says in verse 10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. So one of those gifts is hospitality. There's many other gifts. In our Sunday school class, as you know, Carol's been teaching us to uh, take the, the, the gift assessment test. And there's, there's many options, and she's given you that uh, online. You can go to take the gift assessment test so that you can find out how God has specifically and particularly gifted you to serve others in the body. The word gift here, it's rooted in the word grace. And the focus for Peter is here the fact that God has given gifts of grace to each individual person as a result of his grace, not as a result of someone deserving it or even needing it. The gift was freely given by God. To the individual, and the individual did not earn it or deserve it He's freely, nor could they have attained it or required it any other way. The gift that Peter's speaking about is a gift that comes from God. Each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Whatever spiritual gift a person has came from God. Therefore, no cause for pride, no cause for praise to the individual, except praise to the one who, in fact, gave the gift, which is God. The word received there is an idea of a definitive historical event that when you and I become Christians, when we decide to, to give our lives to the Lord Jesus, repent of our sin, turn our life over to his influence and his control, and begin to cooperating with him in this life, gifts are given. And they're to be used for the body. The definition of a spiritual gift is a gift given, supernaturally designed ability, granted to every believer by which the Holy Spirit then works through that believer to the body of Christ, through those individuals, to benefit the building up of the body, the strengthening of the body, and to glorify God. And there's several uh, passages in the scripture that talk about, that have lists of gifts. And in each of the lists, they're not all the same. So it would imply that there's that there's a, a general idea of gifts, but they're not all listed specifically in the Bible. So there's more than listed there. But, they cover so many areas of ministry, and in fact, the Holy Spirit is efficient enough to cover all areas. So the spiritual gift is the way that God has blessed each individual in their church family in order to help individuals and the community and the church family. In one particular passage, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's much you could study 
about gifts and there's much to learn about uh, gifts and their practical application. In uh, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, verse 1, it says this. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. So there's some things that are important and expected for Christians to know about their spiritual gifts. Number one, that you have a gift and it's been given to you from God and is given to you to use to bless other people, to be pointers toward the living God and to encourage one another. It goes on and says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts with the same spirit. In other words, God, the Holy Spirit, is the giver of these gifts. There are different kinds of service with the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works in them. Verse 7, now to each one, the manifestation, that means the outwarding, the enablement, the the working of the Holy Spirit, his person through each of us is given for the common good. If you've been given a gift, it's not for you. It's for the people that you have come across in your life to love and to serve. In chapter, uh, same chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11, it says, All these are the work of one in the same spirit. He gives to each of them as he determines. God understands where the need is and how to meet that need. And he understands where the individuals are who would be willing to meet that need. And I've always seen these gifts and I've understand them and I continue to grow in my understanding of them. It's like carrying a toolbox to somebody's house. You might not know exactly what you're going there for, but in your toolbox, you would have maybe a screwdriver, maybe a pair of pliers, a drill a drill with all kinds of different bits, maybe even a paintbrush, maybe uh, a sawzall. Whatever you might uh, have with you is tools, but you might not know exactly what you need, but God does. And you could, and somebody might ask you, hey, can you help me with this? Well, let me look in my toolbox. And as we practice and as we learn, as we become available, God will show us what exactly he's put in our toolbox and he'll give us tools that we don't even know that they were there at the time when the specific need arises. In chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he goes on to say in verse 12, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and all the parts, its parts are many, though they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we are all baptized one, one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, Slave or free, and we're all given one spirit to drink. And he goes on to talk about how the body, not everybody is an eye, not everybody is an ear, not everybody is a hand. But there's gifts in the body given by God's grace, given by his direction, his wisdom to the the individuals in that body so that the needs of the body will be met by God's gifts and God's grace. In verse 22 of the same chapter, it says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And so these gifts that are given, um, the picture that Peter presents here is that, listen, the end of all things is near, so be sober-minded. Be clear in your thinking so that you can spend time with the high purposes of prayer and loving people. 
One of the ways we love people deeply from the heart is by offering hospitality. And another way we offer love to one another um, is to use the gifts that God has given us to benefit and to bless others, to come alongside them in whatever place we find them. We might not know where they're at when we first start the conversation, but God knows and God will equip us if we make ourselves available. If there's a willingness to serve, God fills in the lack and we can trust him to do that. As Peter wraps up this section, he says, if anyone speaks, he should do it as speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So part of it, and I'm speaking to myself in this too, we need to put less emphasis on our lack and more emphasis on God's words and God's gifts and God's supply. Because we'll be, we constantly thinking about what we lack and, oh, I don't have that to give. I can't do that. I can't do this. Instead of just trusting God and putting ourselves out there and saying, God, you know what this person needs. You know what situation needs. I'm going to come. I'm going to make myself available. I'm going to make myself willing. And I pray that you can utilize me and utilize my gifts in whatever way you see fit. And God will be the focus. God will get the glory. And so in the midst of this little section on suffering in chapter 4, 1 through 6, and then in suffering on 12 through um, 19, he has this little pause that he takes to remind the readers, listen, Everything is temporary. You may not have this particular opportunity for long to serve someone. Serve with the gifts God has given you. Serve with the strength he supplies. Serve with the words that he puts into your heart and your mind. And to continue to act out this Christian life in the midst of the difficulties that we're all surrounded by. It's interesting that in our day and age, I'm reminded again how relevant the Bible is. Um, you don't have to go very far to find people that are hurting, people that are dealing with stress and trouble that comes in all kinds of various ways to cause people difficulty and grief. You and I have an opportunity by God's grace to come alongside of people, to get underneath people, to love them, to serve them, to do what we can to alleviate suffering in their world, in the world, in the world we find ourselves in, where suffering is a common everyday occurrence, it seems, where there's opportunities. Um, Interesting, going back to the accident. Now, I'm thankful for emergency people who are highly trained and skilled. But we were in a place in Wisconsin that was far from any town where the, both these accidents occurred. It was the people who were immediately around. And I doubt any of them were highly trained people, but they showed up to offer help that they could until those uh, trained professionals arrive. But in the meantime, I guarantee 
the particular people that were helped by people that were just passing by and that were choosing to be involved, to offer their gifts and offer their support, I guarantee that they were thankful. So wherever you find yourself today, whatever situation you will be encountering, I would encourage you to be sober-minded. The end is near. The end maybe for people that we're involved with, maybe our own end, but in the bigger picture, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Now's the time we have to live by faith, to walk by faith, to express our faith, to be witnesses to faith, to preach the gospel with our words and with our actions, and to express God's love in hospitality and serving with our gifts. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. Father, I'm thankful for Peter's encouragement. I'm thankful for his reminder, God, a sober reminder. The end of all things is near, imminent. You said yourself, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. Lord, help us not be waiting around, but to use our gifts, to use our opportunities, to pray, to be sober-minded, to love and to serve. And we just uh, thank you for your grace and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.